Welcome to the show, friends. It's called Stand to Reason, and I'm your host, Greg Kokel. Oh, 33 years now, and <laughs> counting. It's not always been called Stand to Reason, but that's how long I've been in radio. And uh, actually, this show had this name right after we started Stand to Reason, which was May 1st, 1993, which means this May, coming up in, what, three months? will be our 30th anniversary. We're gearing up for it. We're pretty excited about it. And uh, we got some treats in store for you in light of that. But of course, you have made this possible. Uh, All you listeners, all the friends that I have that I know and I don't know. I mean, you know me. I don't always know you. But I get to meet many of you when I travel and do events. And uh, you guys are what Stand to Reason is all about, you know. And so uh, we are celebrating you as well. This uh, coming up now on our 30th anniversary. Of course, the way the numbers work, this actually is our 30th year. We'll be finishing our 30th year on our 30th birthday, just like you finish your first year on your first birthday. But anyway, it'll be our 31st year that we're celebrating, our 30 years that have gone before. Now, last show, I gave an anecdote of something that happened last weekend, which is great. That was the good news. And I said, oh, I got bad news, too. And I want to talk about that now. And it's only bad news in the sense that, well, I should say only, it is bad news, but bad news in the sense that here is another another report coming from a Christian in in culture in, in, in trying to get an education and ultimately make a living, but then being resisted pretty aggressively by the culture on what ought to be recognized as a personal conviction and honored as such and not punished or discriminated against, but rather uh, acknowledged as an authentic belief that one holds for will just be charitable regarding the reasons they hold it. In other words, you don't call a person disagrees with you. Don't call them. You must be a hater. That's not charitable. That is that is generally drawing a false conclusion about a personal view. There could be, <laughs> duh, lots of things people think are wrong, even though they don't hate the people who are doing them. Okay, like no duh, right? All right, in any event, but lots of this has come down the pike. We've seen this going on in our culture, and uh, I was talking with someone. Oh, that was my physical, let's see, physical therapist? No, it was the x-ray technician, because I had surgery, and I had my checkup last week, and I'm talking to him as he's putting me in position to check out, see if the replaced hip looking good, which it was, and, uh, you know, here, I'm just talking. And the most depressed group in this country are Christians. And I happened to mention that, and he said, absolutely. Now this, if you pardon my way of putting it, was a person of color. He was a hip, young-looking, a hip-looking young black man saying that the most depressed, agreeing that the most oppressed group in this country are Christians. Now, I'm not whining or crying or whatever. I'm just making an observation. And this kind of thing, which I am going to read to you, which is uh, an email that was sent to us at STR, um, is an, it exemplifies that. 
and and incidentally try to when i read this think about what is going what happens to this person and what is going on in their life and now in the educational system at a christian school no less a christian university and if you just substitute um the circumstances and just make them racial you you, you would see how obscene the kinds of circumstances he faced would be. But when they are regarding a Christian and that Christian's convictions about the morality of sexual behavior or abortion, both of these come up here, how how this Christian immediately becomes the object of persecution simply in virtue of his convictions. Now, I've said this before, this is true about pronouns in general, dealing with that, is that when we are uh, choose, as a matter of conscience, to use pronouns regarding a person, third-person reference, that's how pronouns are used, or, I mean, sometimes it could be you, but, but these are talking about he, she, because those are the gendered pronouns, so to speak. Um, we, we, we're, we're, we're using these with regards to third-person uh, references. How our appeal is just not that anybody else change their view about whatever it is we're talking, but that we be allowed to have our own view. It used to be said that when Christians insist that Jesus is the true Messiah of the world, the rescuer of the world, that we were forcing our views on other people. We weren't forcing anything. People can do and believe anything they want. We are just making a claim about the nature of reality and a fact of salvation. Jesus is the Savior. Now, we say that because he said that, and so did everyone he trained to follow after him said the same thing. So we're, we're followers of Jesus. We say what he said. If you don't like it, fine. Then don't believe it. We're not forcing our views at all. But in this particular case, the demand being made on those who do not go along with the whole transgender scene is that we be forced to use the language that comports with their view rather than we being allowed to use the language that comports with our own view. So in this case, contrary to what was claimed before about Christians, you're forcing your view when we weren't, we, they, they are actually forcing their views on us. And our recommendation has been to resist that. Live not by lies, to uh, use a phrase that's a title of a, a book that's very compelling giving you an insight on what's going on. It was also originally Alexander Solzhenitsyn's phrase, this Christian Soviet dissident who spent eight years in the gulags. So this is a, an email or a note that came on our website um, from a, a man named Jack. I'll just leave it at that. And Jack, uh, and based on what he says here, I know it's fine to read this to you. Okay, here, here we go. First of all, I'm a huge fan of the program and your work. My wife and I have used your tactics books for our apologetics class, and it is essentially what the class curriculum is based on, so thank you for all you do. Okay, I guess I could have left that one out because it's just about me, but it's fun to read it. Thank you, Jack. Now, I am a grad 
I am in grad school at a Christian university in Kentucky, and then he names it. It's the University of Cumberlands. A program requirement is to become a member of the American Counseling Association. Okay, now that must he must be in a counseling program there, getting a MA or whatever is it. And so in order to, we want you to be professional, and so you need to be a member of the professional association associated with your profession. Okay, so far so good, except notice that it's a program requirement of the University of Cumberland's, which is a Christian university in Kentucky, except that the ACA has stated positions completely antithetical to mine, he writes. I am refusing to pay the $110 annual membership fee on principle and may be dropped from this program as a result. Hmm. The ACA membership is a class assignment. Isn't that, doesn't that strike you as odd? I, I can see how, like it, you know. So I'm an apologist. Uh, I have a master's degree in philosophy, and philosophy has really helped me a lot. And if you were a student of mine and I was encouraging you and you were studying philosophy, and I, I could say, you know what, you know, you, you might want to join the EPA, the Evangelical Philosophical Association. That's a great group of people. You can get stuff from them. Uh, you'll learn from them. You'll be connected with them. But I wouldn't make that a requirement, and partly because you, as my student Christian apologetics, may be Roman Catholic. And this is an evangelical philosophical association, and so you might have Roman Catholic convictions that are different from the evangelical philosophers, part of that group, and so you don't want to join them. Wouldn't it be odd then, given that concern, which is completely legitimate as far as I'm concerned, if I said, if you don't join, you Roman Catholic student of mine, don't join the Evangelical Philosophical Association of Philosophers, I'm not going to pass you. You're going to flunk. I'm throwing you out of the program. You see, that's like, well, that's ridiculous. Okay, well, that's what's happening here. I'm refusing to pay the 110 annual membership fee on principle and may be dropped from this program as a result. The ACA membership is a class assignment and worth points toward my overall grade. I have been told that there is no—this is in quotes now—no wiggle room regarding ACA membership, and that is a program requirement. What, what if you were—what if you're getting a medical degree at a Christian school and they said you must be a member of Planned Parenthood? or you can't graduate. Okay, think of it in those terms. It doesn't matter any school, that would be an illicit requirement, but when a Christian school? So it strikes me that's a, par a parallel here, especially in light of what Jack continues to reveal. One of my issues, he writes, is regarding the following statement by the ACA. So these next two paragraphs are right from them. ACA and its members believe that forcing individuals to use a public restroom that does not match their gender identity is a form of discrimination, harassment, and marginalization that can affect a person's developmental processes, self-esteem, and self-concept. It strikes me as a radical overstatement, but nevertheless, just take it at face value. That's what the ACA statement is. This is a statement, by the way, that he has to affirm in order to be a member. And this is the organization that he's giving money to, that he's being forced to join, 
by the Christian University. Next paragraph. ACA members are committed, notice that, ACA members, just like the prior paragraph, ACA and its members believe. ACA members are committed to non-discrimination and the prevention of harassment in all forms, including protections for transgender, gender nonconforming, gender expansive, and LGBTQ plus individuals. We stand together, we, that's all our members, stand together in strong opposition to any efforts to discriminate against individuals who are living their authentic lives. Now, on my copy here, I bolded that. I'm going to come back to it in a moment. And this one also, the ACA commitment to non-discrimination and the prevention of harassment includes access to restrooms and changing facilities that are safe and affirming for transgender and gender expansive youth and adults, close quote. So those are the paragraphs. But I want to go back to something that I bolded. The ACA and its members are in strong opposition to any efforts to discriminate against individuals who are living their authentic lives. Now, my question is, what about Jack's authentic life? Where's the room for Jack? Can Jack authentically disagree with these views that they have offered? And forcing him to go along with them to be a member of the ACA and therefore considered a bona fide, legitimate member of that professional community, isn't that an act of discrimination, harassment? The answer is, of course it's an act of discrimination, of course it's harassment, and of course it's keeping him from living his authentic life as a follower of Jesus of Nazareth. And this is the problem with these kinds of statements. I, I made this point, what, 20 years ago, when the whole Boy Scout thing started happening, when the Boy Scouts, because of their commitment to training their young people to live morally straight lives, would not affirm homosexuality, and therefore public institutions, public facilities would say, we do not allow discrimination of any sort, therefore the Boy Scouts cannot use our facility. You see the contradiction, right? We don't allow discrimination of any sort, therefore we are going to discriminate against the Boy Scouts and not allow them to use this facility. Of course they discriminate. Everybody discriminates. It can't be avoided. And this is exactly what the ACA is doing, is discriminating and essentially harassing. I mean, if, if saying that if you're a male and you have to use a male bathroom, if that's harassment, then certainly this is harassment of those who disagree. All right. And incidentally, it says, it talked about access to restrooms and changing facilities that are safe. Now, what they mean is safe emotionally, I guess, although I don't, it doesn't strike me that there's this great emotional harm that comes to a person with female genitalia to go into a female bathroom. I, 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 whatever, I think that's overblown. But, but, but if it's a man with male genitalia who believes he's a woman, then he, for his safety, on their view, ought to be allowed to go into the women's restroom. But what about the safety 
genuine safety of the women that are using that bathroom. This isn't about safety, because the ones that are at risk are the ones that are genuinely at risk when males use women's bathrooms. And this is demonstrable, because we know the, the problems that have resulted from that. So they're not interested in safety. What they're interested in is promoting a point of view. Okay, if ACA wants to do that, okay, that's their business. And we'll just live with their, you know, double talk. All right, and their their moral posturing about being non-discriminatory when in fact they're discriminatory. Everybody does, in one sense or another. All right, but when a Christian university requires a Christian student to join this organization, give them money, and implicitly at least affirm with the ACA and all its members these things that are in their statement, that's unconscionable. And frankly, I don't get it. I mean, in, in a common sense world, so to speak, I just I don't get it. Leave them alone. Give him his education. Let him join the organizations he wants to join. They are consistent with his beliefs. And if he doesn't join the right organizations, maybe he'll never be a bona fide, accepted, paid counselor. Okay, that's on him. It is not on you, University of the Cumberlands, to dictate what organizations he must be involved with in order for him to get a grade, a good grade. All right, so that's the statement. And uh, Jack continues, I don't stand with them in this regard at all. In fact, I'm one of the people whom they, quote, stand together in strong opposition of, right? quoting them now. I don't think women should be forced, to use their language, he, he writes, parenthetically, to share bathrooms or changing rooms with biological males. The ACA also has stated positions about the overturning of Roe versus Wade as essentially stripping women of their constitutional rights. And there are others, but these are a couple of the big ones. In other words, there are more issues he's concerned with, but these are the biggies. He writes, I don't think any student at a Christian university should be required to become a member of an association that is completely antithetical to their values and beliefs. And by the way, this is, now there's an ambiguity in this letter, maybe on purpose, that's completely antithetical to whose values and beliefs? Could be there, that is the students, it could be there, the Christian university's stated beliefs. But they, they say this, to be Christian, and then they do this in an unchristian way. I'm not sure exactly what Jack's getting at, but either one is a problem, right? I've had people, he writes, tell me I should just pay the membership fee, get my degree, and go on with my life. I don't think this would be the right thing to do on principle. I think the reason I am in this position is because these things too often go unchecked and are allowed to continue. Great observation. When everybody goes along with the bullies, the bullies are emboldened, and they bully more. It's required somebody stand up. Well, look what happened to the NHL, the National Hockey League. Now, I haven't followed this very closely, but they got this big gay pride thing they're doing, and finally one player said, you know, I'm not going to wear all those rainbows. I came here to play hockey. And that started a little bit of a you know, a, a snowball effect. As people said, yeah, why are we being allowed to 
Why are we letting other people push us around, making statements we don't want to make in public? That's exactly what Jack is referring to here. These things too often go unchecked and are allowed to continue. So he's willing to say no and at risk to himself. He closes, please help me bring awareness to this issue. This is why I thought it was okay for me to read his letter on the air. I am working while going to grad school and raising a family. I don't know how much time and energy I can devote to this, but I think it's something worth fighting for. Thank you so much, Jack. Good for you, Jack. I tip my hat to you. We need more Jacks. We need more Jacks with more courage. People that are willing to say, you know, this is not an acceptable requirement, especially from a Christian school. This is plain old-fashioned bullying, and I'm not going along with it. We need more people who are willing to say to their employers who are forcing certain indoctrination classes that are woke to say, why is it that you think it's appropriate to use your power over me as my employer to enforce your political viewpoints on me or to force them on me? That's a question. It's a fair question. Now, you're not going to be able to answer, ask these questions or take the stands like Jack is taking without it costing you something. But I don't know who said it, but it's common, commonly, uh, it's a common phrase or aphorism. Uh, the only thing that's necessary for evil to prevail is for good people to do nothing. Okay, let's take a break. Come back to your calls here on Stand to Reason. Do you have a passion to train people in apologetics, but you don't know where to start? You may be interested in starting an STR Outpost. STR Outposts are local communities of Christians seeking answers to the hard questions about Christianity. Each outpost is led by a qualified director who trains others with STR content and curriculum in their local church. By becoming an outpost director, you will be equipped with the content and coaching you need to lead your own outpost. We currently have more than 60 outposts across the country, and we're adding more each month. If you're interested in learning more about starting an outpost, or you want to find a current outpost in your area, visit str.org outposts. You can also email me, Robbie Lashua, at outposts at str.org. Does Jesus want LGBT people to come out of the closet and be who God made them? Well, that's what one pro-gay theology advocate is suggesting based on a passage in the Gospel of Luke. Find out what's wrong with his approach in the most recent episode of my podcast, Thinking Out Loud with Alan Schliemann. Look for it on Spotify, iTunes, your favorite podcast app, or at the top of the homepage at str.org. Have you ever wondered how Stand to Reason is able to produce fresh, accessible content each week? We rely on generous donors so that we can provide you with the tools and tactics you need to be an effective ambassador for Christ. If you've benefited from this podcast or any of our donor-provided resources, including our apps, blog posts, articles, and short videos, consider making a financial contribution to Stand to Reason today. Just visit str.org donate to show your financial support. 
It has been an honor providing you with a host of free resources for more than 27 years to help you give voice to the Christian worldview. Help us continue by making a financial gift today at str.org donate. All right, friends, just uh, for the record, that would be University of the Cumberlands. Just so you know, if this bothers you, don't go there. And incidentally, there are dozens and dozens and dozens, sadly, of Christian universities that do this kind of thing, that hold these views. And uh, just keep your guard up. You know, I used to... uh, is the spring when I do that? You know, I talk about what to look for in a Christian school. I, you know, I guess by springtime, students going to a school, um, they've already decided and all that's taken care of, and they're already applied, and it's a fait complete. you know, because it's just six months or seven months before they start school. So maybe I should be doing that in the fall. But I've given this thing, here's the things to look for to find a true blue. And it, and there were like five things. I'm not going to go through them now, but I realized, and I said this last time I did my little assessment or offered my wisdom, excuse me, such as it is, uh, you know, about Christian schools, I realized you're not going to find a school like this. All these particular things that are really important for a safe educational environment for a Christian student, a follower of Jesus, they just like almost don't exist anymore. Now, there are exceptions but they're really few and far between. And and so what I said is, when you think about sending your kid to a Christian school, don't think about it as a Christian school. Think about it as a school that a lot of Christians attend, <laughs> because there are very few Christian schools that are going to be officially that is not only by their by their doctrinal statement, um, true blues as I would call them, but also in their practice day to day, and in the the people they have come to their chapels and what the st- instructors and professors say in their classrooms. That's where the rubber meets the road, right? They can have all this fabulous thing in their catalog, and then unwitting parents and grandparents pay big bucks to send their kids to this private Christian school, and they, the kids get their, their convictions destroyed by the professors. So whenever you're, wherever you're sending your kids, just think it's a secular school with a lot of Christians at it. That's the best way to think it. Keep your guard up. All right, let's go to Arizona and Ben. Hello, Ben. Hi, Greg. Hey, did you know that I'm going to be in Arizona? Did you hear me talk about that last hour? I um, think? Yeah, actually, uh, I'm, I'm here on a military deployment, and I'm going to the church that you're going to be at. Um, I think it's like a leadership conference. Oh, there, okay, yeah. Uh, it's, that week. Yeah. It's a, it's, I think it's three weeks from tonight. or It's a Tuesday night, and it's yep. at Calvary Chapel in Tucson. Okay, good. Well, uh, yeah, please, so. please say hi to me then. I, I will try to. I, I've been to um, the uh, to Reality Conference, and I'm a strategic partner, and, and so I've been involved in one way or another with you a long oh, time. Oh, wow. Wow, thank yeah, you so much. called a couple times, too, and it, there's a reason why I'm calling tonight, uh, oddly enough. So um, I, I ran for school board about a year ago, and, and that was just a, a 
uh, step into some really difficult issues there. Uh-huh. And um, uh, we did pretty well, but we, we didn't win. We're in a, an area where the, the school boards are kind of controlled by the, the union. So, hmm. um, but we didn't win. But I, I, I kind of have been looking at things in the last several months and just deciding that um, because I am a very astute um, follower of apologetics and I've, I've really been um, kind of diving into that even more on this deployment. Uh, I, I've decided that I feel like that's what God is calling me to. So um, I went on to SDR and I wanted to put in to be uh, an outpost uh-huh. because in the area of St. Louis, where I live when I'm not, you know, somewhere with the military, um, there's no outpost per se there. Right? Okay. There's one in Kansas City, I think, but not in St. Louis. Uh-huh. Um, and one of the first things that came up and I just uh, my, my <laughs> I was disheartened because that uh, was. You have to have a letter of recommendation from your church pastor. Right. And I understand why. I mean, there, there's no doubt as to why that would be a good idea. Mm-hmm. Um, where my issue comes up, and I've been at the same church for about mm, five to seven years, and um, there are they're very fundamentalist. Um, if you if you want to be in any type of a, a class, you know, teach any class in some type of a quote leadership position or anything you have to yeah there's certain things that you have to do um and because i have a different i have a background that's different like a lot of people um you know i've been divorced more than once Mm -hmm. um and so um they are not accepting uh of me as any type of a teacher or uh, anything like that Uh um is that because uh, of your divorce or your multiple divorces is that so, um, actually, something happened about three years ago or so, and uh, I actually had talked to you about what brought this up in the past, but um, I had a, a family issue come up where I had a grandchild that had some some severe mental health issues going on, and mm-hmm. we're trying to get her under residential treatment. And I simply asked the small group leader in my church, I said, listen, this has really been a financial strain. Would you mind if I brought it up in the small group, you know? If somebody wants to donate, they can. If they don't, that's fine, too. But, you know, it would just be something sure. that would help us. Did they find fault and, with that? Oh, yeah. They flatly said that that's not the purpose of the church. It's not here to be a, you know, a, a piggy bank for people when they have problems and so on. And huh. and um, it, it wasn't those exact words, but it was definitely, you know, if we start this, everybody's going to ask okay. for help. Okay, well, let me just jump in for a minute, because e- even if— uh, to me, that's one issue. They, if they say we either do not want to participate and help out, or we don't believe that's the way the church should function, that's one issue. But it sounds like they're faulting you for even bringing it up. And that's oh, I didn't mis- get to bring it up. I was told not to bring it up. Okay, but I, uh, okay, yeah. fair enough. But you told somebody, you brought it up with somebody, and are, and you feel that they are still holding that particular thing against you, and therefore well, they're not willing to give you kind of like the a, a, a letter of recommendation regarding being an outpost leader, or is that what your concern so is? I, I had a discussion with the, the not the senior pastor, but the essentially the associate pastor, one of the senior pastors. All right. Um, and, you know, he effectively said, you know, hey, I'm really sorry, but, um, and I've talked to him about possibly being an outpost leader, and, and his take on that was, well, you know, find a, a some type of a lower kind of a position in the church and, and then work your way up. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was like, 
okay, well, I've been here for like five to seven years. I've been a part of, you know, not, not a leader, but a part of many of the different men's programs and so on. And I said, well, why would I need to work my way up? You know? Yeah. Um, but I just get the feeling that maybe it's time to change churches. Okay. So I'm not sure exactly what your your question is. If you If you feel you've been ill-treated by your pastor in light of your past, their recommendations are not fair, or maybe by our outpost leader who requires or director. Oh, no, who's... no, I'm not mistreated by the app. No, I okay. understand and I agree with having a letter in from principle, the pastor. In principle, yeah, uh-huh. Yeah, but completely. It, it, I, I, yeah. You don't agree with their judgment, and so maybe they're a little extreme and it's time to find a new place. Is that what you're saying? That's your yeah, question? Yeah, and that, that's, I mean, or, or do I go to them and say, you know, hey, I, I'd really like to work this out. You know, I don't think this is a bad place. I, I like the doctrine. There's a lot of good things here. You know, what's a way that we can solve this problem? Because I, this is not the first time I've tried to uh, you know, been be a part of the the classes. I, I had a I tried to have a blended family class, and they just um, again it wasn't a thing where they said we don't want you. It was just right. like, well, you know, we're not looking at doing that class, and you know, I was like, okay, sure. You know, so it's, okay, so this this gonna, let me let me offer this then, uh, Ben. This is gonna it's gonna be a little bit hard to give like hard and fast advice or, or whatever in this because sure. there's a whole bunch of stuff in the background that I just don't have visibility of. It may be. Um, that that you involved in a church with leadership that's just holding on too tightly, and uh, they they don't give up power easily. And you try this, and you try that, and you try the other thing. Here's I, I it's ironic that I actually faced a very similar circumstance um, that you're facing right now, but I, I, without the the back the baggage that you just described. I, I mean, I had right. a, like a really clean record, but I was still being asked to go to the back of the line and start all over when I had a long, uh, a long history of productive service in the body of Christ. So I am sympathetic right. to the feelings that you're having. You need to be the one, I think, before the Lord to, to make your assessment, whether you think that for whatever reasons, this particular church is not going to give you room to grow in service of some sort. And that means finding another church. But you're going to have to start right. over there, too, because if you find another sure. church, then then you're going to have to build your own reputation in that community for the good mm-hmm. um, to get a recommendation from a pastor. And he says, yeah, you know, I've known Ben for a few years or whatever, and I've seen him work hard, and he's the kind of guy you can rely on and, uh, mm-hmm. and will do the job for you. So I think it's sure. going to come down, Ben, to just a personal decision. Decision. You might want to press on a little further and say, what can I do? Where where will you be supportive of me that I can uh-huh. do a job that will serve the body of Christ? And you guys will be happy with that. I mean, not in a bitter way saying that, but just asking. See what they say. Sure. Give it another shot. But the fact that somebody pushed back really hard on you, and again, I, I'm just getting the, you know, a thumbnail sketch of what happened, the, that they pushed back like the church is not the place where we fund personal needs that come up, especially the health needs. And that's odd to me, because yeah. the church is a place like that. And we see that in the New Testament, and we see that with widows, for example, and other requirements. There are standards that have to be met, whatever. But to sure. act as if, gee, if we did it for you, then this really opens up a crazy— No, well, that strikes me as a little bit odd. 
Maybe that's a bad sign. I don't know. But that's something you're just going to have to decide in the circumstances that you find yourself yeah, in. Yeah, and, and I can understand that. And one more thing real quick okay. on that letter from Jack. Um, so I am a, a counselor in, in Missouri and Illinois. I'm a, I'm a licensed counselor in oh. both states. Uh-huh. And I, I will tell you from and and um you know i'm not i'm not a prophecy person or anything but it it is my feeling and it is some of my christian counselor colleagues feelings that within a number of years that the states that provide the license are going to require um certain affirmations in order to allow us to yeah, keep uh, our license you may very well be right and that certainly seems to be the trend right now so and, uh, anyway ben yeah, so Listen, thank you. Yeah, thank you for being a strategic partner and your support for Standard Reason. I appreciate your call as well. You bet. Thanks, Chris. Okay, buddy. Bye-bye. And let's see. What do we do here? Uh, Let's just keep going, I guess. And uh, in Cincinnati, Kelly, welcome to the show. Kelly. Greg, thank you. Hi. Hi. Thank you so much for taking my call. It's such an honor to speak with you. Oh, that's really sweet. Nice to talk to you, Kelly. Thanks. I had a question. Um, well, really, I wondered if you had advice for knowing when your time has ended as a gardener with someone, and if you had any advice for how to trust the Lord to bring in new gardeners. Um, I have a, a very dear friend to me who I met as just kind of a theater buddy, and then we started talking about faith, and um, she's an atheist, and um, she and I had some really deep conversations and my pastor actually recommended I read your tactics book, and that was so helpful oh. in having these conversations. Uh-huh. Um, but it's getting to the point where she will defend indefensible positions. So um, I'll use, like, the taking the roof off tactic, and mm-hmm. she will say that somebody who is a serial killer is becoming a better person just because they feel gratitude they haven't been caught yet. Mm-hmm. So things that are kind of ridiculous like that. Um, and she's also told me that, she really only feels comfortable talking to me about this sort of thing, uh-huh. but that her atheism has grown stronger, almost in opposition or rebellion against the strength of my faith. So I feel like maybe my time has come to pass her off, right. but I'm having a hard time because of what she said about only talking to me, trusting the Lord to bring other gardeners that she will listen to. Okay, that's a great call, a great question, and just to bring everybody up to speed, so those of you who may not be familiar with our terminology here, uh, when... When Kelly is talking about a gardener, she's talking about a Christian who is tilling the soil and planting the seeds in the lives of another, in the life of another non-Christian. Gardening, 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 or sowing, sowing, sowing. To use Jesus' uh, language from um, from John chapter four, there's sowing and reaping, there's gardening, and there's harvesting. So we're talking about uh, Kelly's impact in another in the life of another non-Christian that's now maybe coming to an end, and now what? Okay. And by the way, you, Kelly, what you've described is a circumstance that a lot of um, family members are in, especially parents with children who are not Christian. The parents are Christian, but the children are not Christian. And it just seems it seems to be there's only so much that a parent can do in sowing into the life, gardening into the life, of their non-Christian children. And um, and what often happens is that when the children finally turn to Christ, it's as a result of some exterior, outside of the family, influence at school, at work, some other circumstance that then brings them around to the Lord. Now, in my family, 
um, there are seven of us, five kids, mom and dad, and uh, one one child, my brother Mark, he's right in the middle with two siblings on either side of him age-wise. He became a believer, and he was that was the domino that caused almost all the other dominoes to fall. All of the children uh, are confessing Christians. My father became a Christian, not through Mark, though, through his sister. Now, there's a case where we're praying for my dad. We'd all share, but he wasn't going to listen to us. But he did listen to his older sister. Now, they were older, too. And uh, just before he died, when he was 71, just maybe a year before that, he put his trust in Christ, and there was a dramatic change in his life. So in this case, the gardening opportunity for his children in his life, especially his sons, because we were the most vocal three sons, um, that well, we weren't getting through, but it was somebody else that was doing the gardening that made the difference. Now, she didn't actually lead him to Christ, but it was a traumatic—he had surgery, he had to have heart surgery, and it really brought him to the brink. And it was, the, I think, the influence of his sister more than anything else that prepared him for becoming a Christian when he faced this tragedy in his life. And then when when he became a believer, I mean, that was a radical change. And uh, there was no question at all, my dad's tender heart towards God. And then, he, But he died about a little bit more than a year later, as it turned out. Now, I bring this up because it is not unusual, the circumstance you're facing, Kelly, though in your case it wasn't a family member, oftentimes it is a family member who's facing a circumstance like this, okay? And uh, we get our opportunity to do gardening, and then it comes to the end. Now what? Well, I'm thinking of people in my own life that I care deeply about that aren't, aren't really interested in listening to me about God. I pray for a different gardener. I pray that God would bring a gardener, a sower, into that person's life so there wouldn't be the barriers maybe associated with me talking about Christ, and, and th- that loved one of mine would respond to someone else. I think it's entirely legitimate. And sometimes, like you've done, you go as far as you can with an individual in sharing about them about the Lord, with them about the Lord, and, you know, you, you, that runs its course. It just seems like there's nothing else that you can say. The door closes, uh, whatever. That happens even in short-term conversations, like with a waitress, you know, at a restaurant that I might have, or uh, somebody on the plane. I don't know. I do what I do. I, I do the gardening I can do, and then I entrust that person to the Lord if he would bring another gardener into their life. So, uh, you asked, do I have any advice about trusting God to bring another gardener into the person's life? I'm saying that kind of thing is very common. And so you can trust God with that person, even though your opportunity has come to an end. Now, we don't know what God is going to do, but the point here is that that person is in God's hands. They are not in our hands. Does that make sense to you? Yeah, thank you so much. That was really encouraging. Thank you. Pray for them. Pray that God would bring more people. Pray that God would open their eyes. Pray that God would use the things that you've already invested in their life by way of gardening. And uh, and, and then just let God take 
take care of it. Um, I, I, I'm very sympathetic to your circumstances because I find myself in that circumstance as well with people in my life. And all I can do is trust God. That's all I can do. Okay, God, you know. I don't know. I, I, I can't. I'm not in a position to have any more influence in this person's life. But you are. And I give that person to you. And I pray that you'd care for them. There's a prayer I pray. You might want to think about this. It's in Colossians chapter, uh, I think it's in the first chapter. But it's what it is, is the words of Paul regarding the Colossians. And I, I just take his words and make it into a prayer, because he tells the Colossians that God has transferred them from the kingdom of, from the domain of darkness to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom there is um, redemption and forgiveness of sin. And so that's a statement he makes about the fact of the Colossians being brought out of that, and I use those words. It's not a promise, but I use Paul's words to pray for my own loved ones. And I say, transfer them from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of your beloved Son, in whom there is redemption and forgiveness of sins. And that's the way I pray for those that I, I uh, in particular, I'm thinking of one right now, that I, I, I really don't have a direct influence spiritually in their life. So maybe that'll help you, too. All right, Kelly? Thank you. I will use that prayer. Thank you so much, Greg. You're welcome. It's great talking to you. Thanks. Thank you. All right. Let's take a quick break, and then we'll get back. We'll get to our last caller, Carly, in Augusta, Georgia. Have you seen our brand-new website? Stop by str.org and enjoy a fresh, clean layout with all the same great content. The new Stand to Reason website was designed with you in mind. It has an easier-than-ever navigation and a crisp, simple layout so you can find all the sound analysis and careful commentary that you've come to expect from us. Browse new features that make finding your favorite resources easier than ever. As always, it's our goal to equip you, our fellow Christians, with a confidence, clear thinking, and courage you need for every encounter you have as a Christian ambassador. Our new website is just one way we're fulfilling that goal, allowing you to access the resources you need in a new and improved way. So visit str.org and keep coming back to discover new podcasts, articles, and videos each and every day. When you choose to support Stand to Reason with a monthly gift of $10 or more, you become a strategic partner in the work of equipping Christian ambassadors. Your monthly commitment makes you a part of a special group helping STR train Christians to confidently and graciously defend their convictions. Your monthly gift helps us plan and manage STR's resources and provides consistent support to aid our ongoing work. As our thanks for your partnership, we have created some benefits to express our gratitude, like a 10% discount in our online store, access to a private Facebook group, and more. To become a strategic partner, visit str.org donate. Click How Often Will You Donate and choose Monthly. For personal assistance, you can email oceanwilson at ocean at str.org. Final segment here on Stand to Reason. Let's just uh, go directly to Augusta, Georgia, and Carly. And Carly, you know, we have an event in Augusta, Georgia. Have you been to that last year, for example? Yes. Hi. We did go last year, and it was great, and we do already have our tickets for this year. Oh, no so. kidding. You are one. <laughs> You are among the 60 
who has already signed up. And, uh, of course, there are going to be a lot more people there, but uh, good for you. Ready to rock and roll. Great. Yes, definitely. No, we uh, we love your ministry, and we're strategic partners, and we're just so happy to do that, and we're really excited. Oh, thank so. you so much. Thank yeah. you. So what's on your mind? Yeah, so I had a question about hell. Um, just kind of wondering, I know there might be limited, you know, knowledge we all have, of course. Sure. Um, but do... Do people that are in hell, do they remember their life on earth, do you think? Um, and then are they like, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm not on earth anymore. I'm in this horrible place, and there, there is a God now. Like, I, I realize there is a God. And then if they do kind of remember their old life, and now that they're somewhere else and there is a God, do they ever want to get out? Mm-hmm. That's basically the question. <laughs> All right. And, uh, okay, well— in some ways, it's not it's not a difficult question to answer, and we get a clue from Revelation 20, because it isn't as if somebody who is not forgiven dies and wakes up in torment, and mm-hmm. oh, like, oh, ouch, 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 and that's mm-hmm. forever. Mm-hmm. There is actually a process— of judgment that they go through. Now, I'm not saying that if they die apart from Christ before the final judgment, that they don't feel anything or they're asleep. Or I'm, I'm, the point I'm making is, is it doesn't isn't just they get popped into the fire. No, there there is a process that go, that God goes through to demonstrate His righteousness, the propriety of the judgment that He administers to those who have broken his law. And we see the details in Revelation 20, and starting in verse 11 and following. And that's the so-called great white throne judgment. And there it says the books are open. And we know one of the book is the book, uh, one of the books is the book of life. And that's the names of all those who have put their trust in Christ. Okay? Mm-hmm. Because that, if their name is in the book of life, that is what rescues them from the punishment that the others get. It isn't their goodness versus their badness. It's whether their names are in the book of life. There is another book, though, and in the story of reality, I call it the book of death, as opposed to the book of life. The Bible doesn't call it that, but that's my way of characterizing it, because everyone whose name is, is, uh, I should say, all who are judged from that book because that is a book that is a record of our deeds, or our misdeeds, rather, all of our mm-hmm. sins. It's our certificate of debt, essentially. Paul talks about that in Colossians. And in, in as I put it, you know, he's make, God is making a list, and he's checking it twice kind of thing. Mm-hmm. The, the idea is, is that we will not get away with anything. It's all right there. And the point, it seems to me, of having this judgment scene is to demonstrate God's righteousness when he judges. He judges the devil, he judges the prophet, um, and, and the beast, and they are thrown in the lake of fire, and then he judges humanity. And, uh, and the text says, you know, the books are opened, and the dead were judged from the things which were written in the books according to their deeds. So one book has their deeds, the other book is the book of life. And it says, it says anyone 
if anyone's name, verse 15 here, was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Now, the point there is, those who are whose names are not found in the book of life are judged according to their deeds, and every one of them is found wanting because they've all broken God's law. Okay? Now, <laughs> notice that this is a process. It's a step-by-step kind of thing. And that means that the people who are judged are consciously aware that God is the judge. In fact, we know from other texts that it's Jesus himself who is the judge, who does the judging. But God in the person of Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, that there is a God, and that they are being judged justly for the things they did wrong, and then they are cast into the lake of fire and away from the presence of the Lord forever. This last phrase from Second Thessalonians chapter 1. So, th- so they are consciously aware of that. Now, you, you ask, uh, so they do, the atheists will know that they were wrong. They were, mm-hmm. that, that they were mistaken about God and mistaken about Jesus, and also that they were wrong in a moral sense, that they, that they broke in God's law and deserve to be punished, just like everybody else, even the non-atheists who thought they were good enough to get into heaven, they'll realize, no way. There it is. There's the bo- The books are opened. Mm-hmm. There it is, one after another, after another, after another. And when you, th- I tried to characterize this in the story of reality a little bit to give people a sense of it. But it's it's like, you know, you can, you know, you can, house can look really clean. You turn the lights off, and then get a bright flashlight, and you start poking around in the corners or underneath the bed and everything, and that you see every ugly thing that's sitting there. And that's the light of God's judgment on our lives. If we can hide the, the, the nasties from others, but mm-hmm. we can't hide it from God. And, uh, when, and so God sees everything, and none of our lives— people say, well, uh, you know, I'm no Hitler. Oh, well, good. <laughs> One was enough, you know. Uh, but we are no Jesus Christ either. And the fact is, we are a lot more like Hitler than we are like Jesus. And yeah. that's that's the problem. Goodness isn't the problem; it's badness, and goodness can't pay for badness. Um, mm-hmm. No, 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 no system of justice works that way. Okay, mm-hmm. so um, so yes, they will be aware, and um, and will they want to get out? I imagine they would. Mm-hmm. Who in torment wouldn't want it to be otherwise? But mm-hmm. but they will not be able to get out, you know. the The door yeah. into hell is like one way. Um, yeah, it's a terrifying thing to contemplate, and frankly, I don't like to think of it. Um, yeah. The idea of eternal hell is odious to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, like one, in fact, even now I'm starting to get a little like I don't know if claustrophobic is the right word, but I can feel the the tightness of the 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 press of eternity. One yeah. moment after another, after another, after another, after, and it never, 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 never ends. Oh, yeah. Oh, and it's torment. Yeah. yeah so, uh, but it is what the scripture teaches, and it's based on God's, on God's justice, on His goodness. Mm-hmm. And so, is like the the gnashing of teeth verse. I need to, I guess, review that a little bit. But is that just kind of like? Is, what is that meant to refer to? Well, I think that these are figures of speech. 
Okay. I don't, I don't, it, it talks about flames right here in Revelation mm-hmm. 20, you know, uh, the lake of fire, verse mm-hmm. 15. But then it says, cast into the outer darkness, where there will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Okay, so, well, is it, is, is there fire? Or is it dark? Or is this fire that has no light? You know, so I'll tell you what, what I think is going on. And I think these are figures of speech, all right? But figures of speech are meant to help us zero in on a literal truth, okay? Mm-hmm. So to say that, well, there's no fire in hell, which I, I would be inclined to say that, fire is the best metaphor the writers could think of to capture the agony of hell. So this is a place you do not want to go to. If you can imagine constantly being burned, what that feels like, and we all know what a burn feels like, or anguish so intense that you're grinding your teeth and you're wailing, mm-hmm. even if you don't have teeth to grind, that's a figure. Yeah. Then that's the kind of anguish that is the literal punishment of hell. And the fact is, even if figurative language is used to describe it, the literal truth is this is a place you do not want to go because of the agony you will actually experience, which makes the grace of God that much more magnificent. Great call, Carly. Thanks so much. Greg Kokel here from Stand to Reason for Stand to Reason. Give them heaven, friends, not hell. Give them heaven. Bye-bye.